This is a Soulfire production. Yo, everybody, welcome back to Politically Homeless. We're here, we're doing it. The sun is out. It is approaching summertime. We're playing just the tip with summertime right now. The masks are off in so many ways. Oh my God, I can go to the gym without a mask on. I'm liberated. I feel free. I feel so good. And I was actually out, I was out to dinner with a, a friend of mine who's a therapist, and we were just talking about the mental health issues that have come from the mask situation. And, and you know, they made sense. They didn't make sense. We're, we're not going to have that conversation right here, right now. But I will say that there was an impact that was unintended that came from these. And it just, and maybe this is me being a fucking hippie, but it just feels a little lighter now. It just feels, it's like true normalcy is just, is, is it, I can taste it. I can feel it. And be honest with you guys, like this whole time, this past 16 months, I mean, this show has been a saving grace for me because it gave me an outlet to spew some frustration. And I know that it was that for a lot of other people as well, which really makes me happy. But looking at this whole thing, it's been really, I I don't know, something shifted in the past week where (laughs) I don't talk about this shit all the time. Like it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to consume my life. I don't have to think about it that much. Like People that got the vaccine got the vaccine. People that didn't don't. And most people that have it don't want to make people get it if they don't want to get it. And that's fucking great. It's great. In some ways, it feels like a victory in in some odd, weird, strange way. But God damn, it feels fucking good to just like be thinking about going to con. I've got fucking concert tickets for this Saturday. I get to go see a band. I don't even, I think I know like one of their songs. I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to a fucking concert on Saturday. (laughs) With people outside at Red Rocks. Finally, I've been in Denver for almost two years now, and I have not been to Red Rocks because of this stupid fucking COVID bullshit. And now we're making plans again. We're doing things again. I don't know. People are smiling. And it's like, thank God this is over with. You know, and the CDC has lost any sense of credibility. We're going to talk a little bit about Rachel Maddow's take on this because she's clinging... to this for dear life, right? And some people are, especially people that receive validation and admiration for their their resistance journalism, <laughs> resisting practical common sense. But goddamn, I, I, I don't know. And maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me, but I do feel this distinct shift. And this is probably what it felt like in Texas several months ago. Um, which is recently recorded, what is it, two months or something like that without a COVID death, which is great. It's great. After, we call, after being called names and, and <laughs> everything, murderers, Neanderthals, yeah, didn't change much, did it? Didn't change much at all. It didn't, also didn't impact the economy that much, apparently, but maybe people just weren't slowing down there anyways. We don't know. There's a lot of like, and we're seeing a lot of bullshit flying around about you know, inflation rates and these different things and people cherry picking stats. And it's like, well, you know, it's up 4%, but it actually isn't up 4% because it had dipped down in 2022%. So we're actually at 4%. So that actually where it would have been if COVID wouldn't have been a thing. So nothing really changed all that much. We'll see what the long-term consequences are, but libertarians are, are, are clawing for some attention now, because here's the thing, what you're going to start seeing here, right? Like I did, I, I put, 
effort into not making this show all about vaccines and all about COVID and all about lockdown restrictions. I intentionally left it completely out of show sometimes, unless it was egregious. Knowing that, at some point, this would kind of start to wind down, most likely. And if it didn't, then we could shift. We could always shift to do more stuff that was in that vein. But I wanted to kind of see through all the smoke and mirrors and like what's going on behind the scenes, what's going on that matters, what's going on that's going to have a substantial difference down the road, things like that. And, and we're seeing people now that have, have gained relevance through the lockdown are actually addicted to resisting the lockdown or the COVID measures or band-aids and all this other shit, right? You're seeing that. You're seeing people like Rachel Maddow, who we are going to talk about today, clinging to COVID because it was it was ratings for her, right? She needs people to be a little bit scared. And then you have people that were libertarian-leaning, right? Let's call the other side out here. And they're clinging to it, too, because their resistance to the mandates, the measures, that was their way to grift, and I do my best to not make what we do here a grift. I'm very mindful of that because I can't be hypercritical of grifters and then become one myself. I've seen it happen, and I'm not interested in it at all. That being said, join the fucking Patreon. <laughs> but no, we're, this is it feels good. It feels good. It feels good. It feels good to be. It feels good. Now, speaking of the Patreon, get your ass in there. It's a great way to support the show. Again, not making this a grift, but you do get a, a bonus episode every week that is crowdsourced from the Patreon for the Patreon. And it's one of the th fun things, right? When you get in the Patreon, there's like 50 some odd people in there now. So it's like a solid little group of people. And the questions are kind of, you know, you drop things in, you know what's up. And then just like when you get in a real group of people, things start to loosen up a little bit and the questions get a little bit weird and a little bit fun. And people that have known me before I did all of this, which maybe none of you have, but I'm assuming some of you have, know that I like have a lot of psychedelic experience and I like to talk about evolution and human sexuality and different things. So people have started to drop in more kind of outlandish questions that are completely off topic for this show in itself. But, um, or I mean, fair game, right? On in the Patreon, you get to ask, you get to force me to talk about whatever the fuck you want me to talk about, and that makes it what it is. And that's why it's fun. So check that out. It's Patreon.com/slash/politicallyhomeless. There is a link in the show notes of this show. You can just click that and go right over there. You can find it on Instagram. It's everywhere. If you know where I am, you know where it is. Find it, join it, support the show. It means the world to me. And it's just nice to be behind that paywall and be able to have a little bit a little bit more freedom, right? I feel like I kind of go for it here, but there are some things that I kind of hold back just for the sake of maintaining a show. I haven't reached the level of notoriety yet where people are like, not going to shut me down, right? <laughs> so until we reach Joe Rogan level and, and Spotify pays me $100 million to go over there exclusively, well then, you know, we got to be careful a little bit. We got to toe the line, you know, step over the line and then like, okay, toe the line. But if you don't want to do that, if you don't want to join the Patreon, there is another way you can support the show. And that is by leaving a review on Apple podcast and sharing it with some friends, share it with some friends. That's all we ask. Get it out there. Anybody you think would like it and find us on social media and all that fun stuff. Now we got a good show today. We're going to roast some pharma, some pharma executives. We're going to talk about a little bit about Israel, Palestine, and just some of my thoughts there without really like taking a side and, and jumping into partisanship, uh, Republicans and Chick-fil-A is going to be really interesting death penalty stuff. Uh, and Joe Rogan got himself in some trouble. So 
We'll do that. We'll jump in there. Now, it's time for the state of things. Let's get into it. Okay, start today's show with Katie Porter. Katie Porter, representative from Orange County, California. Don't know if she's a Republican or a Democrat. I don't know. I'm assuming she's a Democrat, but who knows? Don't know, don't give a shit, because what she just did here is spectacular. She's gotten uh, she's a little notoriety for using a whiteboard to roast CEOs. <laughs> <laughs> and right now she's going to do that with a pharma executive. And this is just a beautiful experience. I also love about Katie is that she's got this like kindergarten teacher aesthetic with the whiteboard and a little like she's pu- she's putting in little cardboard cutouts here on this whiteboard on the magnet side. And it's just it's she, she's she's talking to the CEO like he's a child, which is exactly how he deserves to be spoken to. So let's get into this. Mr. Gonzalez, how much did you spend, did Abby spend on litigation and settlements from 2013 to 2018? Uh, I, I don't have that number offhand. We'll be happy to give it to you. Okay. Um, so this guy just off the jump looks like a fucking greasy used car salesman. That this guy is, I would never trust this guy with anything, much less my health. $1.6 billion, $2.45 billion on R&D, $1.6 billion in litigation and settlements. What about marketing and advertising? How much does Abby spend on that? Uh, well, marketing and advertising, we spend about $4 billion a year. Yep, $4.71 billion. How about executive compensation, 2013 to 2018? 2013 to 2018, it's probably on average about $60 million a year. Try 334 on her size. <laughs> this motherfucker said $60 billion a year, and it's 334. <laughs> or 60 million, excuse me, 334 million. That's insane. Now, how much did Avi spend on stock buybacks and shareholders, stock, stock buybacks and dividends to enrich your shareholders from 2013 to 2018? Well, stock buybacks, if you actually look at just poor stock buybacks, it would be about $13 billion. Stock buybacks uh, and dividends is the question, sir. Uh, dividends, I'd have to come back with that, a number for that. Over that Don't worry, she's got it for you, buddy. $50 billion. So, Mr. Gonzalez, you're spending all this money to make sure you make money rather than spending money to invest in, develop drugs, and help patients with affordable life-saving drugs. You lie to patients when you charge them twice as much for an unimproved drug, and then you lie to policymakers when you tell us that R&D justifies those price increases. The big pharma fairy tale is one of groundbreaking R&D that justifies astronomical prices. But the pharma reality is that you spend most of your company's money making money for yourself and your shareholders. And the fact that you're not honest about this with patients and with policymakers, that you're feeding us lies, that we must pay astronomical prices to get innovative treatments is false. The American people, the patients deserve so much better. So true there. So let's, let's, let's explore this a little bit, right? So 
what she's exposing there and what she's done numerous times is expose hypocrisy and lies, right? We get this, this big pharma myth is exactly what it is. It is a myth that the innovation is dependent upon them charging astronomical prices for slightly shifted medications that they do shift in order to maintain a patent to keep um, uh, generics from being developed, right? So they shift their patents and they just hold this patent. The patent laws within pharmaceutical companies need to be addressed and changed dramatically. This is completely fucked. And this uh, CEO, they, they produce uh, Humira, and I think it's like $77,000 a year is what they bill out for that. That's absolutely insane. There's no justification for that. And you're seeing here that R&D makes up a very small portion of what they use this income for. They use it for stock buybacks to juice their stock prices and make sure that the dividends get paid out, right? So it's their shareholders and their executive wing that are getting fucking paid here, right? Where R&D, this whole myth of R&D, on top of the fact that much of the R&D is done at public institutions with our tax money. Right, So not only are we paying for the development of these drugs, and then we're getting sold this lie that the pharmaceutical companies are now responsible for this, and their majestic R&D process, and that justifies you paying what you pay for your pharmaceuticals. Now, I minimally take pharmaceuticals, but I'm assuming at some life, I'll have to like, at some point in my life, I'll have to take something at some point or sometime, and... It, to see this, right, to see things like this, to see when I used to go in at, for general health checks and get things like uh, testosterone and general sex hormone tests, because those are clear correlates with um, various different types of, of health complications and just things to be aware of, um, I would get a bill from LabCorp for like seven or $800 at least, sometimes $1,200. And I would call them and be like, fuck you guys, I'm not paying this. Like, I'm just not doing it. Uh, I'll give you 150 bucks. That's about as much as it should cost. This is a simple blood draw, a simple test, and you can get them now from like mail-in kits for 50 bucks, which is a great way that people are circumventing this bullshit process. But you get sold this lie that it's supposed to be expensive, and then when you go in and like pay cash, it's you get a 90% discount. Like it's a scam. I don't know why people can't acknowledge that this is a scam. We can argue about whether a socialized healthcare is the best move or a single payer, that, that, that type of jam, or if we need to deregulate the market. But all it is is fucking song and dance while nothing fucking changes because the pharmaceutical lobby owns politicians. So they're going to lock anything up. And you have people like Ted Cruz and most conservatives are like, people love, love their private health care, which makes sense if you're not a gig worker, a contractor, or self-employed, which is a, a larger and larger segment of the population who's getting fucking screwed, just absolutely trashed by this. And we have, you know, my, I think my insurance is like three or $400 a month and I have a seven or $8,000 deductible and a max out of pocket of like $12,000. Like that's, that makes no sense. What the fuck am I paying you for? I paid for my own MRI out of pocket the other day. Like why is, because you guys weren't going to cover it. What am I paying you for? Catastrophic? Well, if it's catastrophic, it should be less, right? There's, there's so much here and it's this intertangled web of bullshit. And this is why, this is why this, if you, anybody ever, ever curious about why I supported Bernie Sanders, this was one of my foundational reasons. Like, I didn't agree with everything the guy said. I don't agree with everything any politician says because I'm not a, a clown. But someone who is going to hold these companies accountable and push legislation and expose these companies for the way that they are taking advantage of the American population. And it's usually the part of the American population who's already been taken advantage of by our broken-ass food system. Like, there's so it, this is a bigger thing than just pharma companies and insurance companies and hospitals. 
It's much bigger than that. You got to think about our healthcare system. When you think about the healthcare system, think about the agricultural industry, the food industry, the lack of regulation that we have on what goes into our food, the way that 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 plastics and phthalates from plastics and different toxins from plastics are poisoning us, water sources, all of these things go into it, right? So if you have pharmaceutical companies that are reliant on people being unhealthy and only benefit from pe- people being unhealthy, that are also juicing our politicians and paying for their livelihood at the end of the day and offering them uh, board seats whenever they finally get out of politics for seven figures. Like you can't expect anything to really change. And if we don't expose that and expose the campaign finance corruption and expose the lack of regulations that we have on our food industry and how us investing and subsidizing corn and soy is actually hurting us more than it is helping us. We're making third, we're, we're subsidizing third world foods instead of investing in regenerative agriculture and innovative ways to diversify the kind of food that we're putting in our body. This is a, a, a far encompassing system that goes way beyond big pharma. Now, big pharma is the tip of the iceberg and it's very easy to pick on them because of the way that they explicitly manipulate. But the subtle manipulation and the subtle um, corruption is a huge part of this as well. So it's something to be thought about. So when you do, I, and I, I push you to do this, like think when you think about the broken ass healthcare system, think about the food agriculture system as well. And how there's only a dollar menu at Burger King or McDonald's or wherever the fuck, because much of that industry that creates that food is subsidized, right? There's actually not a free market in that world. And you would think if we were going to subsidize anything, it'd be getting quality food into neighborhoods and cities and places where people don't have access to quality food and affordable quality food. That would decrease the burden on the taxpayers exponentially. Just by providing, if there's anything the government's to subsidize, right? If we're going to talk about, if you're so scared of socialism, right? Well, let's not, let's not socialize the healthcare and do a single payer. Let's, let's really invest heavily We can divert this way from the Pentagon. I would love that. That would make my day. It's a wet dream for me. Divert money away from the Pentagon and make sure that we have, you know, massive nonprofits creating, uh, uh, sealing up food deserts, creating an opportunity for people to get food that's not from a convenience store or a fast food joint, right? Where the healthiest option is Subway, whose bread isn't even considered bread anymore. (laughs) Like we have this weird fucking system here and you cannot sit here and tell me this is not the product of capitalism. Now, it is not a free market by any means uh, because of the way the patent system works and the way they manipulate the patent that that limits the free market capacity of this. And I think there would be a benefit from blending the two together, right? Deregulating the market, creating a social safety net and putting a substantial amount of money, resources, time into getting quality food to people. And maybe this doesn't need to be necessarily profit motivated. I don't really give a shit how it happens. If it's if you want to create some kind of like libertarian heaven where it's like local farm to table shit and people are making money, well, I don't care. Like let's just let's have the right conversation. We can we can talk about the details, but let's say here's the problem, here's the source of the problem, here's who's taking advantage of the problem and perpetuating the problem and start addressing those things in order. And that way downstream, not next year, not the year after that, it won't change much. But in 20, 30, 40, 50 years when our kids are growing up and they're having kids, maybe they'll live in a better society. And we don't think that way anymore. We don't address things in that way. 
we don't track things down to the source. We don't look at things from a, from a, a 10,000 foot view and try and address the, the, the weakest link in the chain. That's a way of thinking that is long since past, it seems. And it's something we should bring back into our reality. And I, I really encourage everyone listening to this to start viewing it in that way. And I think then we can push towards solution-driven things. Because just punishing big pharma is not going to do a goddamn thing to the agriculture industry that creates the, the amount of unhealthiness. And it's not the farmer's fault either, by the way. This is not about them. It's about the system that they are forced to operate in. So we'll see. I think there should be massive incentives for regenerative agriculture, both cattle, beef, all that kind of fun stuff, as well as uh, crops, right? Diversify from just corn and start becoming more reliant on our agricultural industry to fund or to, to supply our nation as opposed to re- relying on New Zealand and Canada and these different places. Let's, let's bring it home. Let's bring it home, baby. Oh, Rachel Maddow. I used to like Rachel Maddow. I really did. I thought she was very level-headed. But over the past year, I mean, she is literally the Sean Hannity of MSNBC. Well, let's check out what she has to say here. She's got um, the CDC director who's been around doing her thing for a while. And you've seen this clip put out a lot, but I'm actually going to play more of the clip than most other commentators I've seen just because uh, there was some stuff here that I thought was important. Now, I skipped most of the interview, but... It's no surprise there was no hard-hitting questions, no challenging questions on inconsistency or poor communication. Like, no, she, as a journalist, you're supposed to kind of hold those in power to account. Nah, none of that. None of that at all. But we have, we have some things to talk about when it comes to this little clip here. Dr. Rochelle Walensky, director of the CDC, um, congratulations on, I mean, in some ways, this is an achievement of our public health folks and an achievement of the CDC to get us to the point where we can announce this kind of historic change in guidance today. Um, thanks for being with us on a big day. Come back anytime. As always, let us know if anybody starts messing with you and the scientists at the CDC and we'll knock their block off for you. That's not your fucking responsibility. That is not your responsibility, Rachel Maddow. It's not your responsibility to defend the CDC. You're a fucking journalist, or at least you pretend to be. It's, you're not the watchdog for the CDC. I don't know if... When did this happen? When did this it become a thing where it's Fox News' responsibility to, to, to protect Raytheon, and it's Rachel Maddow's responsibility to now protect the CDC? Like, you're going to knock, why don't you, if somebody's critical of the CDC, why don't you look at what they're saying, digest the information, and come up with a valid counterpoint, not call them conspiracy theorists and racists and, 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 and Trump supporters or whatever the fuck you're going to call somebody to belittle them now. Why would, why would that be your go-to? Right? Why? Anyways, let's keep going. Um, it's good to see you, doctor. Thank you for being here. <laughs> you too. No problem so, so far. Awkward. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Let me know. You know how to reach me. So weird. So awkward. (laughs) It is an amazing thing. I mean, I will just tell you at a personal level, I'm sorry for speaking of all that in such personal terms with with Dr. Walensky, but when I was talking to people today about this new guidance and what to ask her, everybody had very personal feelings about it, and I realized I did too in all these questions. Part of it is that I feel like I'm going to have to rewire myself so that when I see somebody out in the world who's not wearing a mask, I don't instantly think you are a threat. (laughs) digest what this woman just said. I have to rewire myself so that I don't automatically perceive someone without a mask on as a threat. 
I mean, it's everything besides calling somebody who's not wearing a mask a fucking domestic terrorist. Like, and I think the, the sad thing is, I really believe that she's being genuine. I really think that she feels this way. And that's the worst part of it all. She's not lying. She's not making this up, I don't think. I think this is how she really feels. And that is disturbing to me. Absolutely disturbing to view people and see people as a threat. Especially when you're outside, like doing your thing. Come on. <laughs> or you are selfish, or you are a COVID denier, and you definitely haven't been vaccinated. I mean, we're going to have to rewire the way that we look at each other. Uh, def define we. <laughs> because the CDC's guidance, which she just told me, we are sure, is that if you're vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask, except in very specific circumstances. And so that means as we change that as a country, we are going to look at each other differently and have to unwire our preconceptions about what a mask or a lack of a mask means. President Biden spoke to that a little bit today, asking for people to, President Biden actually and Dr. Fauci both spoke to that today, asking for people to essentially be patient, be compassionate, give people respect for whatever they decide on this front, because with these, with this changing guidance, we're going to now have changing norms and we got to give each other space. And when they say respect what people decide, they mean respect if people decide to wear a mask while they're vaccinated or decide not to wear a mask while they're vaccinated. That's the choice that you have. Right when it, through her lens, that's what they they'll respect those two options. But if you decide not to wear a mask and not get vaccinated, well, then that's not really respected. To have feelings about that um, as we go through what's going to be a big change that's going to create a lot of visceral, um, a lot of visceral reaction in a lot of us just in our day to day lives. There has been no shortage of visceral reactions in the past sixteen months in the United States of America. And I think uh, yeah, anything we can do to make those less of a thing is to everyone's benefit. Big day, big change. <laughs> All right, Rachel Maddow. And we just had to play that. There's no way we can go without playing that. But it gets into, and I think this is important, right? Because I do rip on Maddow and these people. Um, and I understand also where they're coming from because they live in New York and they do this thing and they whatever. Like, I, I get it. And they've been told to be scared and they're, you know, they take one side of the thing and that is what it is. And also people that are super crazy right-wing conspiracy theory nuts about this thing are also annoying, right? I'm not going to say that just one side is annoying. One side annoys me the most because I'm technically like on their side of the line and that's frustrating, right? So when we look at this whole thing, it's really interesting to like see inside of the mindset here and what I encourage you guys to do with this and when you see this because there's an easy visceral reaction right for those of you that are watching this on IGTV or whatever or YouTube you're going to have a visceral reaction if you listen to this just now you're going to have a reaction to what she said frustration anger annoyance eye roll whatever okay but there are a ton of people that are also your fellow Americans that feel this way so as we've talked about before what do you have to think experience and believe to get to that conclusion. What does that take? Okay. Start there. Start there when you have a conversation about this kind of shit. Start there whenever you start to get fucking frustrated with somebody. Start there when you feel like you're beating your head against the wall trying to get your point across from either side. If you're talking to a, a, a person who thinks that COVID doesn't exist, same thing. It doesn't matter. It transcends ideology. What does someone have to think, experience, and believe to come to that conclusion. 
because most people, regardless of where they're at, if you could be, you could be a vaccine denier, a hard, hard, hard line, right? All the way. You believe that shit for a reason. It doesn't mean you're stupid, right? And just because somebody wants to wear two masks while they're vaccinated, walking around outside, doesn't necessarily mean they're stupid. There's a lot of things going on here, and it's very confusing. People's mental health has been challenged to the brink, and we've got to be compassionate for that. I know it's not fun to. It's really a lot easier. It's a lot easier to take the Steven Crowder route and just shit on people who don't agree with you, right? But where does that get, where does that get anybody? Except for him with 7 million YouTube subscribers. But, like, really, where does it get anybody in your personal life? Because at the end of the day, you probably got friends who are scared to take their masks off, still nervous, whatever. It's conditioning. We adapt to things quickly. If there was some kind of, you know, Orwellian shift in reality, which is seems to be happening, we would be able to adapt to it. And a lot of people would be like, about it. You got to understand that. And that's part of the variety within human nature. And that's actually what makes human nature beautiful. So you have to look at the shadow side and the light side of things and understand our variation, the way that we ingest information, our, our conflicts and our disagreements are also what make human nature beautiful in its own way. Now that's been pushed and leveraged and manipulated and taken advantage of by media companies and politicians and organizations that have a vested interest in seeing us hate each other. But to be really politically homeless, you got to rise above that, right? Make a few jokes here and there and good company, but like belittling someone else, that's not, you can belittle me, you can belittle Rachel Maddow, you can belittle Steven Crowder, uh, Tucker Carlson, whoever it is. We put our, I'm not on the same level by any means, but we put ourselves out there to be like, hey, fucking, if you want to shit on me, cool. But don't do that to people in your normal life. Right? Don't, don't start giving somebody the stink eye at a coffee shop for wearing a, a mask. Don't be that person. Be better than that person. That's what we need, right? Because we're getting close. We're getting close to be like, okay, this is about to be in the fucking past. And eventually, after everything kind of goes back to normal, and Fauci says, oh, you got to wear your mask because it's wintertime. Most people are going to roll their fucking eyes. And people that don't, okay, whatever. I was having a conversation with a buddy today. And he was like, yeah, I still see people like walking their dogs with their masks on outside. And it's like, yeah, and I see like crazy people on meth dancing on the corner. I kind of think of it as the same thing. I'm like, oh, that's weird. And then I just go on with my life. I just go on doing what I'm doing. I don't think about it anymore. It doesn't elicit a, an emotional response from me. And I think that's progress. And I really think we need more and more of that. So I, I really want to, and I'm doing a lot of encouraging today, but encourage you guys to start to see that shift, right? Bring it down. Breathe. Keep your fucking feet on the ground. Don't judge people that disagree with you. I know it's frustrating. Now, when somebody else comes at you all hot, yeah, maybe you got to step it up a notch. That's fine. But generally speaking, day to day, we can all be a lot better off if we just take a breath. Move on with your life. Act normal. Be the change you want to see. And if you want to see people screaming and yelling at each other and fucking hating each other and talking shit all the time, then do that. But I don't think that's the change that most of us, me and the people listening to this show right now, really want. So let's keep that in mind. We can make fun of Maddow. We can make fun of Brian Stelter. We can make fun of people that are doing dumb shit that are public figures, but in our own personal lives, let's draw a boundary and do something a little bit different. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Elemental Labs. If you haven't bought this stuff yet, what the fuck are you doing with your life? 
listen, it's sweet, it's savory, it's salty, and it is delicious, and it has zero sugar or any of that other bullshit because the people that put this thing together actually care what they put in their bodies. They're not trying to make a quick buck selling you some supplemental bullshit. Come on. They don't do that kind of thing over there. They have some respect for you, your health, your wellness, and they appreciate your business. They also appreciate this podcast, which I appreciate about them. Lots of appreciation going on between the Politically Homeless and the Elemental Labs crew. Now, they just dropped this new flavor. It's called Watermelon. Are you familiar? It's so good. I don't think I've ever had something be more refreshing than Watermelon Element. Now, they spell it L-M-N-T because... That's a trendy way to do things these days. But this watermelon flavor, I'm telling you guys, it's something else. It's something else. Now, you're getting your salt, you're getting your electrolytes, you're getting your magnesium, which you don't get enough of, by the way. And if you're doing any kind of paleo, keto, um, carnivore-ish type of setup, or you're just like working out a lot, listen, if you're working out doing CrossFit type stuff, or you do jujitsu or anything where you're going to be sweating a lot, you got to replenish, baby. You got to replenish. You can't just be putting out without putting in. And I want you putting the best stuff in your face that you can possibly get your hands on. Okay, consensually, of course. And you can consensually go to drinklmnt.com slash wanders and get a variety pack for $5. That's seven packets. It's five bucks. All you got to do is cover shipping, you know, because they're not going to do it for They're not going to pay you to drink it, but you can cover that shipping and get yourself a variety pack. Check it out and definitely grab that watermelon. DrinkElement.com, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com. Put good stuff in your face hole. Stay moist. Get some today. Link in the show notes. So let's talk about this $735 million arms sale to Israel, which has been very contested. We've got an article here from Al Jazeera, whose headquarters in Palestine are now a pile of rubble because apparently there were some missiles there or something that Hamas was storing. I will say this. I'm not taking a hard side on this right now. But we have a lot of, there's a lot of people talking about this arms deal and it, it's odd. And there's, there's, I'm doing my best here to take a principled stance, okay? I've gotten in arguments on Instagram about this. I've shared some stuff. Um, I've put some things out there, and I'm doing my best to try and understand this as best I can. I've talked to Israeli Jews. I've talked to people who are very pro-Palestine. And to think that, you know, I don't want to say, like, oh, both sides are suffering because one side is clearly suffering more than the other, and that is something to take note of, right? It's also very complicated, it's very complicated and it seems simple. It's one of those things, it's, de- it's deceptively complicated. And one of the things is being someone from the United States and looking at this whole thing is, is trying to overlay our sense of society on what they live in there, right? So that doesn't really make sense. It doesn't really work out. It's a very different, a different reality. Israel is out of line, okay? Hamas is out of line. Civilians dying on either side. Now, more is more civilians by far are dying in Israel. And I'm going to talk about that in just a bit. Civilians dying is something that disgusts me to my fucking core. Okay? Calling dead civilians, dead children, blowing up schools and shit is something that I cannot wrap my mind around. And I calling it collateral damage to me is just 
whitewash. It's, it's marketing. You've attached a marketing message and rebranded murdering people that didn't do a goddamn thing. Okay, so we got to keep that in mind. And I, I want to state my bias here because this isn't something that I find exclusive to Israel-Palestine. So the same thing about the United States in several wars, which I'll also go into in just a bit. So people are blocking this. And this this article isn't up to date, so I'm just going to kind of skim over what the, what the key points are. People are pushing against this. We had people um, boycotting and or uh, protesting by not pack, loading the ships to ship this these weapons over to Israel, right? Israel outguns Palestine by like thousand to one, and it, it's they have bunkers. They have they're prepared for this in some certain way, which is sad on its on the face. So, what I want to look at, and this is something that Rudy is Rudy Israel on Instagram. He did this. He did a bit with a, a an interview with Scriber News that I got into, and that was kind of where I took my perspective from somebody who wanted peace on the Israeli side. And and I have to admit that I overlooked this at the beginning. Is who benefits from this, right? Hamas and Netanyahu benefit from this the most. Now the media only shows the violence and they manipulate the violence. So it's really hard. The mainstream media is trying to get a story. If it bleeds, it leads. Like it's sad how much that little jingle holds up. Okay. So they're taking things out of context and lying. And you're seeing that all over the place, right? So to try to get some accurate information is hard. You know, I, we, I shared this thing about celebrities, a hundred and some odd celebrities, like wanted peace in the Middle East. I'm like, yeah, what the fuck else is new, right? That doesn't mean anything. Um, I don't know why that's even worthy of being shared right now. No one gives a shit. <laughs> like Hamas and Netanyahu, no, no one cares. But you have to think about who Netanyahu is. He's a nationalist, okay? He wants ethnic cleansing. Plain and fucking simple. It sucks. Hamas who is intertwined with the government of Palestine also wants ethnic cleansing, right? So we have religious ideologies combating with one another. And I'm, I'm, this is highly reductionist. So don't rip me apart too bad. And that's, that's, that's fucked. Okay. That is fucked. Now I think that this arms deal should be held up as leverage. We give them $3.8 billion a year of our taxpayer money. $3.8 billion a year in defense spending without any caveats, right? Not defense spending as long as you don't kill a bunch of children. Not defense spending if, if, with any other, like any caveat, nothing, no exceptions. $3.8 billion a year, okay? Because Israel is our attack dog in that area of the world. Right, geographically, they're our attack dog over there. In the same way that the Saudis are, we overlook their war crimes and, the, and you know any kind of thing that's fucked up because we need them as our attack dog in the fucking Middle East. And yeah, Israel is surrounded by people that would rather them not be there, and they're trying to create a Jewish ethno ethno state in a region of the world that is not primarily Jewish. That is inherently going to cause some fucking problems. That three religions divide a holy land. Like, this is not a recipe for peace. Okay? And do, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I have the answers. But I do think the United States needs to do a better job of, of orchestrating some kind of ceasefire and understand, say, hey, listen. And they won't even fucking say this. Like, the number of civilians that have died on the Palestinian side is atrocious. Atrocious. And one-third of those, like, 500 and some odd are children. 
children. I had somebody come at me in the DMs today saying like, uh, equating uh, Hamas to KKK, and it's like, well, if KKK members were getting were getting murdered, would you care? And I'm like, if their children were, yeah, I would be, pro- I would have a problem with that. If the children of KKK members, if you want to draw that conclusion and use that parallel, if their children were being murdered, I would have an issue with that. Yes, this is fucking a disaster. Now, one thing I don't want to hear is how much better this would have been with Trump because Israel and Netanyahu and Trump were jerking each other off for four years. It was gross. There was no critical thinking there. There was no strategery. It was just hand jobs all the way around for those two fuckers. So, and I don't, I hear that all the time and it's like, shut, just shut up. That is untrue. Okay. One of the reasons we're hearing about this so much now is yes, things have escalated and also Media needs something to talk about that's, that's scary. So here we are. This also says a lot about the military industrial complex who also benefits from this. So Hamas benefits because they get sympathy. People are more sympathetic towards Hamas now than they've ever been. Right. Which is not necessarily a, a, a bunch of, a bunch of choir kids, right? That's not what this is. This isn't a, a dance troupe. Okay, Hamas is serious and dangerous. All right? Hamas is, is, is publicly favored right now, especially among the left. Netanyahu now, who needs Hamas, right? He needs his opposition to create the ethnic, the, the, the ethnic cleansing that he wants. He now has an excuse to carry out his nationalist agenda. So he, they both benefit. Now, who else benefits? That also has a huge stake in selling weapons the military-industrial complex of the United States, hence this $735 million arms sale, right? How much do they influence policy? How much do they influence who lives and dies? And the thing is, we sit here and say, like, I, I sit here and say, killing these civilians is a fucking terrible thing, right? Terrible thing. It's disgusting. Controlling the power grid in Palestine and making them, they only have power like four hours a day, they have issues with the running water. Like the way they're being choked out by Israel is, is not okay. The settlements, the illegal settlements, not okay. There's a lot of nuance to this. And it's pretty clear just listening to this, like whose side I kind of take here as far as who needs to be protected. Right. And the self-defense excuse excuse is like, eh, it's, it's a little bit looser than I would like it to be to, to, for it to be valid. But where do you think Israel got the idea that it was okay to bomb civilians for a greater cause in their mind. Maybe the hundreds of thousands of innocent people that died in the Middle East at the hands of the United States? How about Vietnam, where the same thing happened? How about Japan? Carpet bombing cities with firebombs. You know, in Japan, Hiroshima, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, those, the, the atomic bombs, didn't even account for the majority of the, of the, of the civilian casualties. That's how much bombing of civilian areas was happening in Japan during World War II. So to think that the United States has some kind of moral ground to stand on is comical at best. So with this, what I think should happen and what I would like to see happen 
And it's kind of be the, people are kind of forcing their hand. Now you have Biden calling for de-escalation and a ceasefire. Netanyahu's like, "Fuck off, Biden! I don't care what you have to say." Um, and he also made his allegiance with Trump. He was very outspoken about about Trump and supporting Trump, and that's going to have consequences when it comes to geopolitics. Sorry, that was dumb. Anyways, so what this should be used for? If you want these weapons on top of the fucking three point eight billion, this is money that we gave them, right? We gave them dispensing money. We gave it, our taxpayer money goes to them to buy weapons back from us. So this is, in a roundabout way, our tax money going right back into the military-industrial complex. Right back in. And if we wanted to like draw more like circles around how all this is fucking happening, it absolutely would be easy to do if we had enough time to sit down and do it. Because... When you bomb civilians and when you kill civilians, all that does is radicalize more people. Okay? Same thing happened with the Taliban. Same thing happened with ISIS. By killing innocent people, you radicalize. If, if there's, there's one girl who her whole family was dead, do you think that person's not going to become a radical uh, a Hamas candidate at that point? Would you? I fucking would. Like if somebody killed my whole family, if I was gone out getting groceries and somebody dropped a fucking bomb in my house and I was the only one alive, I would go full postal trying to figure out who the fuck did it and get revenge. There's this bloodlust there and it's fucked up. And these places, things like Hamas live on that. They thrive on that. And on the other side, Netanyahu needs that as an excuse to fulfill his agenda. It's a problem. It's a problem, and this arms sale should be held up as some kind of leverage to start sorting this out. And the United States, if they want to be the world police and they want to have allies like Israel, they need to hold them accountable. Now, I get, like I said, they don't have a, we don't have a moral ground to stand on here, but we've got to do something. It's, it's so hard to watch this, man. And to think that Israel is only acting in self-defense, I've watched Israeli soldiers, and this was in 2018, during the Trump administration, mind you, shoot 12-year-old boys in the face who were throwing rocks on the other side of the border, and then laugh about it. And that, doesn't, that, that happens frequently. Press, medics, and they're calling them human shields. They're dragging people off this that have been shot or gassed. They're dragging them off to the tents or the ambulance, and they're getting shot while doing that. And then they're calling them human shields. Fuck that. This needs to be called out. And I'm grateful for people like uh, Rudy who are out seeking peace. I don't agree with everything he says. He's clearly got a bias. And that's fine. Everybody does. I also don't give a shit what celebrities have to say about this from their fucking Malibu house. Or whichever house they decide to stay at that week. No one fucking cares. But something has to happen. And I think Trump was going to take the same kind of line as Obama did, as George W. Bush did, as Trump did. We just let him like, yeah, this is whatever. Eh, out of sight, out of mind. But now it's not. Now it's big news. And something has to happen. This arms deal needs to be held up as leverage for a ceasefire. And then we'll see what happens. We need to have some kind of negotiations because what's going to happen is more people are going to die. Innocent people are going to die on both sides and nothing's going to change. It's a senseless loss of life. A two-state solution is a fairy tale. And if you have a one-state solution, 
now the Israeli Jews are going to be highly outnumbered by everyone else because of, the, of where they're at in the world. It's not a majority Jewish area. And they use the Holocaust to kind of as leverage here as an excuse for why they need their, their land, right? It was a, um, a land without a people for a people without a land type of thing back in the 40s when this was going on. But people were there. <laughs> and I don't understand why Israel became that land and not, I don't know, somewhere else that like was involved in World War II maybe. I don't know. Like this is just, it's so, it's so screwy and it goes back, like I said, to the 40s and this is, this is odd. But this, this arms sale should be something other than a transaction. And I think that's all I have to say about that. Republicans are blaming Joe Biden for the great, the great Chick-fil-A sauce shortage of 2021. This is hilarious. Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt is alerting his supporters of our national honey mustard ranch and barbecue problems. <laughs> Vice every now and then, I mean, they're super left-leaning, but every now and then they put something together that's really funny. Um, Republicans are pin, pin, pinning the blame on Joe Biden for the gravest crisis currently facing the U.S., the great Chick-fil-A sauce sh- shortage of 2021. Man, that is a tongue twister. Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt, who was up for re-election this year, sent an email to his supporters Monday pointing the finger at Biden over the restaurant uh, supply chain issues, which the company said earlier this month were a result of industry-wide supply, supply chain shortages. Chick-fil-A has a sauce shortage, and you want to know why, Stitt wrote? Because of Joe Biden's radical liberal policies. <laughs> now, lots of industries, right? If you want the, the used car market has gone up like 10% because getting things like microchips and different stuff that go into cars um, have been really hard. There's a lot of supply chain issues, people getting back up to full speed. So there's lots of areas in the world where this is an issue. And of course, it has nothing to do with Joe Biden's radical leftist policies. But even Ted Cruz chimed in here and said, uh, tweeted uh, Chick-fil-A sauce, this uh, Breitbart article here, and says, Joe Biden is destroying America. Um, I think he's trying to make a joke, but Ted Cruz, don't try and make jokes, bro. Um, Lauren Boebert, who we brought up on last week's show, is there no limit to how awful Biden's America can get? Um, Really? That's, that's where you're going with this. Okay, so when we look at the Breitbart article that they both shared, uh, Chick-fil-A limits sauce per order due to shortage. Now, what they did here, let's just read through it actually. Chick-fil-A is limiting the number of sauces it gives out per order due to limited amount of sauces in stock. The fast food chain said Wednesday, Wednesday that industry-wide supply chain issues have caused a shortage on select items, yada, yada, yada. To meet customer demand, Chick-fil-A is limiting customers, customers to one dipping sauce per item at many of its 2,600 locations across the U.S. You don't need more than one dipping sauce per item. My biggest problem with Chick-fil-A, and I love some Chick-fil-A, is they give you too many sauces and there's too much plastic involved in my order. I can order one chicken sandwich. I get 37 sauces. They just throw them in there. I ask for less sauces. I'm like, give me one of those, uh, the Buffalo barbecue sauce. I'll do a little dip dip here and there. And I usually grab it when I'm on my way back from doing a long hike or hunting or something like that. Uh, when I'm really like, man, let me hammer one of these, one of these chicken sandwiches real quick and a diet lemonade, which is the jam at Chick-fil-A, by the way, diet lemonade, it's lemony as fuck. Anyways, I digress. Um, the fact that Republicans are grabbing onto this and like blaming Joe Biden for Chick-fil-A su- supply chain issues, right? Like that's silly. And 
it also shows how how low people are willing to sink. The same thing happened when Trump was in office, right? It's like, let's blame Trump for things that have nothing to do with Trump and never give the guy credit for when something does go well, right? It was the same issue. And now it's like, instead of the Republicans kind of trying to shift the way that politics are done in our era of social media and fast clickbait head, head shit and all that kind of stuff, instead of trying to raise the bar, they're like, oh no, let's just push the bar lower, right? Let's now blame him for supply chain issues at chick fucking filet. Like that's where this has gotten now. And this is, this is weird, right? It's like, what? this is funny and it is what it is, but like, why, why, why try and take a jab at the old man over not having ranch at Chick-fil-A? It doesn't make any sense. And it lowers the bar even further. The bar is so low right now for politicians. It's, 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 a, it's atrocious. And, and this Breitbart article doesn't even say anything about Biden. It says it doesn't even mention the word Biden one time. And a lot of it came from the colonial pipeline, which was a, which was a hack from Russia. It makes no sense. But the, the, the big takeaway here is that people like Lauren Boebert and Ted Cruz, who I have a hard time believing that Ted Cruz will win re-election. I think he might get primaried by a Republican, which would be really interesting to see. But they just want to jump on here and be like, it's Biden's fault. It's like, dude, if your favorite TV show gets canceled, is that Biden's fault? Like, if you lose your keys, is that Biden's fault too? Like, where, where does it end? The bar is sinking so low for politicians now that even Ted Cruz, who pretends to respect himself in some way, is willing to throw Biden under the bus for a Chick-fil-A sauce shortage. That's the world we live in now. Jesus Christ. South Carolina is bringing back the firing squad as an option to um, exterminate people on death row. Now, this is a really interesting situation here. So we have South Carolina, new law makes inmates choose between the firing squad or the electric chair, (laughs) which if I had to choose, I would choose the firing squad. Uh, Governor Henry McMaster signed into law Friday amid a shortage of lethal injection drugs for death row prisoners. So... What we have here is, again, another supply chain issue, except this is a little bit more consequential than Chick-fil-A not having sauce. And I wanted to get into this a little bit here. We're not going to go through the whole article, but you get the gist, right? They ran out of these drugs, like, okay, let's bring back the firing squad. I don't appreciate the death penalty, okay? I understand it, but the number of people who have been exonerated from death row is astonishing, Right, and I don't understand the benefit to killing these people. I guess I guess the families get closure in some certain way, but if we look here at the data, and this is a really interesting uh, deathpenaltyinfo.org, you can go through dates. Right, so I put uh, January first, first two thousand to January first, twenty twenty one, and there's ninety three exonerations. Right in that twenty in that twenty one year period, so you gotta you gotta think not everybody who was innocent on death row got exonerated. Right, and this is new DNA technology. People that have been on death row for ten years, like DNA technology has changed a ton, and they finally get somebody to hear their case, and they find out it wasn't them. How many people do you think have been executed in the past 25, 30, 40 years who were innocent? Right, lethal injection, whatever way. I mean, fourteen in Florida in the last twenty-one years, six in Texas. This is, it's odd to me that we're, we're still doing this, but I think this might have an actually have an opposite reaction. I think you do this, bring back a firing squad. It will be news when it happens. 
And people will see this for what it is. It's exterminating a human being. And yet, maybe there's a 90% chance that person was guilty. Is that enough to line someone up and shoot them? Are you that certain? Are you really that certain? Is this something we really need in our society today? I mean, if we're going to go this far, why don't we just put them in like a a saw-type game, right? Let's play a game. And one can fight for their freedom. Maybe the innocent one, if we're good, wins. You know, we have to go through a, a room. We'll have like a saw room in each, in, each, in each state. And we'll put them in there. We can watch it. Kind of like the purge. We'll just go in and watch it. We'll, we'll see what happens. Put them through some mind twisters. Make them do some puzzles. Maybe they'll get chopped in half by a, by a, a saw falling from the, from the ceiling or shot full of a bunch of needles or who knows. You've seen saw. I mean, look, the dick caught in a bear trap. Who fucking knows? Why not go that far? You know, make, make some pay-per-view money off of it. You can use it for a lottery for vaccines. Like, we got to expose this for what this is. Like, I, I get the points for the death penalty. People do egregious things. And now if someone was a serial rapist of kids and they were caught in the act and you fucking knew it, all for it, dude. Put a bullet in their dome. I don't care. You know, someone's a serial killer and you know, right? Okay, maybe. There should, but it should be the exception, not the rule. When it comes to this stuff. And it is, I mean, more people get life in prison than get the death penalty. But the amount of people who have been on death row for 20 years or so need to have, I mean, it should be a thing before, if you're going to get executed, there should be a lengthy period, maybe the year before you're up for re-execution where they reevaluate your case. And that's someone's job. That's a public appointed job to reevaluate, rerun the DNA and a commitment because we're ending someone's life. And Jason Flom and these guys who have been on, they were on Joe Rogan's podcast a few months ago talking about the people they've helped get out of prison that were innocent, right? Our criminal justice system is broken. And for whatever reason, people look, took Jarek Chauvin as like their, their, their hill to die on when it talked about the, the, the issues with the criminal justice system as if there's not thousands of people across the country that are serving sentences that, for something they did not do or was not justified or was a victimless crime. Like not even th- tens of thousands at least. For victimless crimes, and your and your your issue is not, the the one you're going to take a stand when it comes to Derek Chauvin. Really, that was comical. I, I enjoyed watching that bullshit. But anyways, I digress yet again. There should be a process for reevaluating someone's case before they're put to death, because you think that families get closure, and they will if they think that it's the person who did it. But what if it's not? What if it's not? We see it all the time. Police are human beings. Oftentimes, they're underpaid and they're fucking lazy, just like everybody else. Just like every other public employee, right? There's good ones and there's shitty ones. There's good social workers and there's shitty social workers. There's good barbers and bad ones. There's good tattoo artists and shitty ones. All of these things, like there's good and bad in every career. And you're hinging someone's life on what? Circumstantial evidence, oftentimes. Speculation. Blood spatter, which doesn't even make any sense. Right, not confirming. A lot of times, they don't even. The person has an alibi. Wasn't even around the area, but they don't even check it out. They're like, "No, we got our guy. We got our guy." Those are closed cases, man. And if you if you doubt that, go watch the Wire. The Wire does a great job of exposing this, even though it's technically fiction. It's really not fiction light, (laughs) fiction ish. Yeah, man, this is weird. And I think that the, the the backlash to the firing squad might move the needle a little bit. 
when it comes to getting rid of this altogether or creating a more bulletproof, no pun intended, process for making sure that the people that are being put to death, who are being exterminated, who are being killed, are actually the people that deserve it and not someone who got caught up in a broken fucking system. So we're going to wrap up the state of things talking about Joe Rogan. (laughs) So I didn't listen to this whole episode, but I want to pull this clip here. He got himself into some trouble yet again. And people are just like, Joe Rogan's just kind of a punching bag for liberal media at this point, like fringe bloggers and shit who like to get offended about stuff. They forget that he's a comedian. And like, he also talks out of his ass quite a bit. Like if I was talking to people for three hours, uh, several times a week, I would say shit that, um, I would be like, Oh, maybe I wouldn't, should have said that. Like that is what you do and you're having a conversation and you're speaking openly and honestly and vulnerably and just kind of like sharing your thoughts. And the problem with this is that when you disincentivize someone from being honest, you get compliance for sure, but you don't get any kind of dialogue and you don't get any kind of progress or growth out of it. So let's see what he actually said here. You can never be woke enough. That's the problem. It keeps going. It keeps right. going further and further and further down the line. And if you get that to the point where you capitulate, where you agree to all these demands, it will eventually get to straight white men are not allowed to talk. Right. Because it's your privilege to express yourself when other people of color have been silenced throughout history. It, it will be you're not allowed to go outside because so many people were imprisoned for so many years. I mean, I'm not joking. No, I know. I know. It, it really will get there. It's that crazy. You yeah. know, we just got to be nice to each other, man. And th- there's a lot of people that are taking advantage of this weirdness in our culture. And then that becomes their thing. Their thing is calling people out for their privilege, calling people out for their position. You know, it's, uh, it's fucking crazy times. It is crazy times, Joe Rogan. Now, do I think it'll get to the point where I think it'll get to the point where uh, white people, white, white, straight white men aren't allowed outside or to speak like, yeah, I mean, there is, there is a point to that, right? Where it's, this is a, this is a common critical race theory kind of trope is that you solve historical oppression by opposite oppression, right? Oppressing the oppressors, which is a kind of a a cultural Marxist idea, if you want to call it that. Um, It makes sense. I mean, I I get, I get where you're coming from. I don't think it's uh, helpful or progress, progress in any ways, but it is a thing, <laughs> you know what I mean? And now this wasn't the most articulate way to go about this. And I don't think that, well, straight white men need to stay inside because people that weren't straight white men um, have been in prison for so long. It's like, well, a lot of straight white men were also imprisoned as well. Like it, it, the criminal justice system is definitely imbalanced and we all can, can admit that the people that are locked up right now for silly shit are disproportionately black and Hispanic people. So let's keep that in mind. But you know, if you come from a place like where I come from, it's uh, mostly white people that are getting arrested. Mostly people that are have meth addicts that are getting arrested, right? And I have gotten this too, where it's like, well, you're just a straight white dude who's heteronormative, so um, you don't get to talk about this. It's like, well, that doesn't mean I can't like observe and give a perspective. Maybe it is the straight white man's perspective, but I don't think that straight white men are a monolith any more than I think Asians are a monolith or, or transgender people are a monolith. People have diverse sets of experience and diverse perspectives, and that transcends what you do with your downstairs, okay? Whether you like dicks or pussies or assholes or, or non-binary dicks, it doesn't matter. Your perspective is your perspective, and that is something that is unique to you. 
And I believe it should be valued from everyone. Maybe that makes me an oppressor. Maybe I'm using something like colorblindness here, and that makes me uh, part of the problem. But does it seem that way to me? So anyways, let's go on. Um, We have this Esquire article here, which is very fair and balanced. It says, Joe Rogan, whose podcast reaches millions, is afraid woke culture will silence straight white men. Okay, okay. Even if he's doing it just to piss people off, abusing a platform this large can have real consequences. Tell me what kind of consequences it can have, Matt Miller. Um, Late last month, when when walking back his asinine comments about young people uh, not getting the COVID-19 vaccine, Joe Rogan had a rare moment of clarity. I'm a fucking moron, he said. And this week, on the latest episode of his Spotify podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, the host uh, proved once again he is indeed a fucking moron. Now, is that helpful? Is that really helpful? Is that is that the kind of dialogue that you want to have here, Matt? Because I, I would have you. I'd love to have you on the show. I'd love to have you on the show, Matt Miller. If anybody knows Matt Miller, tag him in the comments. Send this to him. I'd love to have you on the show. And we can see how productive your dialogue is. And maybe the fact that I'm a straight white man is a problem for you. But we can discuss that as well. Anyways, while interviewing comedian Joe List... Or yeah, Joe List, Rogan went on a tangent about his fear of woke culture silencing straight white men. That is not what I got from that clip. You can never be woke enough. That's the problem. We already heard all of that. He's <laughs> Rogan gets an estimated 11 million listeners per episode and reaches nearly four times as many people as primetime cable host Sean Hannity of Fox News and Rachel Maddow of MSNBC. He also also reportedly gets more than 200 million downloads monthly unless he is performing at the Super Bowl halftime show every month. It's hard to find a bigger platform to say dumb shit than the Joe Rogan experience. And despite the fact that he has given this platform to the likes of Proud Boys founder Gavin McGinnis, Alex Jones, Milo Yiannopoulos, and other far-right transphobic and anti-feminist trolls, Rogan still has the most listened to podcast in the country in 2020. He's got bitter. He's bitter. I think he's bitter. In 2020, he made a $100 million deal with Spotify to be his exclusive streaming platform. And the closest he's gotten to being silenced. <laughs> what? And I've actually read this yet. And the closest he's gotten to being silenced is when shortly after the deal, Spotify quietly removed episodes with Jones, Yiannopoulos, and comedian Chris D'Elia, who was accused of sexual misconduct misconduct involving teenage girls. Despite all that, Rogan is still free to say whatever the hell he wants and whenever he wants to say it. Is that really a fucking problem, Matt? Is that really a fucking problem? I appreciate being able to say whatever the fuck I want, whenever the fuck I want to say it. That's part of this world. And I appreciate when somebody else says whatever the fuck they want, whenever the fuck they want to say it to me. Even if it's trolls in the Instagram comments, man, I just hit them with a block and I go on with my life. It doesn't consume me. I don't write articles about it because I'm not a fucking tattletale bitch. Why? Why take a stand here? People say silly shit all the fucking time. Alex Jones is entertaining. And Alex Jones has been right about a lot of shit that your little bitch ass wasn't even brave enough to investigate. Because you're not a journalist. You're a hall monitor. You're a clown that sits on a laptop and cries all day. That's what you do. I don't know how that became a fucking job, but it's what you do. When people get mad about the dumb shit Rogan says on his podcast, he usually responds with a common refrain, as he said in February of 2019. 
there's certain people that I'll have on, whether it's Alex Jones or anyone that's controversial, where people who will get fucking mad. Why are you giving this person a platform? Okay, hmm. I didn't think about it that way, and I don't think that's what I'm doing. I think I'm talking to people, and you can listen. How is that a problematic stance? It's important to hear what Alex Jones has to say, and he fact-checked him on the show. He fact-checks him on the show. There's some weird shit that goes on in the world, and Alex Jones has done some really dumb shit as well. But you're entitled to do dumb shit, Matt. Like, people are entitled to do dumb shit. And of all the dumb shit that's out there, this isn't really that consequential. This isn't killing people, right? Why don't you go, like, uh, investigate the CIA? If you want to really, like, deal with problems with black and brown people, toppling governments in South America, I don't know, the Middle East? Like, why don't you do an investigative report on uh, military contractors? If you're really worried about uh, marginalized populations, give me a fucking break. Or more recently, he said after his vaccination comments, when I say something stupid, I'm not thinking about what I'm going to say before I say it. I just say it, which is honesty and transparency and reality. You want to know why Rogan has the most listened to show in the world? Definitely gets more clicks than fucking Esquire, by the way, Matt. Um, Is because he says what he's fucking thinking. And he'll apologize when he says things that are fucked up. And when he's wrong, and he'll admit that he's wrong. Matt, when's the last time you admitted you were wrong about something, brother? When? Because when you have this kind of dialogue, when you can speak freely, you also get to freely admit when you fucked up. And that's important. That's an important part of society. You know, admitting your fuck-ups. Admitting when you may have been a little bit closed-minded or short-sighted about a thing. I'll tell you one thing, Matt. I knew about Jeffrey Epstein about four years before you did. And you know why I did? Alex fucking Jones. I knew about the island. I knew about Glenn Maxwell. I knew about the ties to Mossad. I knew about all of it. Because once every couple weeks or so, I'd just jump onto Infowars.com and just see what was going on. What the fuck are these crazy assholes talking about? And here we are. And it's like he, the way he, he, he articulates himself in this article is like, he, the closest he's ever been to being silenced is when this happens. Like, so you think this guy deserves to be silenced? Good luck, dude. Good luck. If this is the hill you're willing to die on, you're going to do it. And it will be for fucking nothing. For nothing. Now, I'm just another white, straight, white male dude, bro, meathead. Defending Joe Rogan, and that's whatever. And there are some absolute clowns defending Joe Rogan. Just trying to find the clip from the show. I had issues because there are some goofy-ass people that are, that, are, that are chiming in on this. And what Joe said wasn't that articulate. But if you don't have time to think through ideas and, are, and, and, and you're saying a thing, and you're talking for several hours, which I can imagine talking to Matt Miller for several hours, but I would try. I'd give it my best. Um, you know, things happen. Anyways, he goes on to say, where else in the world does a, does a performer have the luxury and privilege, oh, of course, throw the privilege in there, of saying dumb shit without thinking about it and having it enjoyed by hundreds of millions of people a month? Uh, well, it's not hundreds of millions of people. It's like probably 60 million people that are listening to multiple episodes because there's like 10 a month. But anyways, um, I don't know. That's part of a problem, actually. That's a good question. Where else in the world does a performer have a lux- have the luxury and privilege of saying dumb shit without thinking about it and having it enjoyed by hundreds of millions of people a month? That's that's actually 
a good point. We should have more of that, actually. Yeah. I think that you're, you're making a strong point there, Matt. I may have been wrong about you. When I wrote about Joe Rogan's vaccination claims last month, my mentions were flooded with his fans telling me to chill out because it's just a podcast, echoing the host's own defense of his stupidity. But it's not just a podcast. It's a platform that reaches a huge audience that takes every dumb joke that Rogan says seriously. That's not true. (laughs) You think that people take everything that Joe Rogan says seriously. I disagree with Joe Rogan numerous times. I've been a fan for a long time, especially when it comes like healthcare and shit. Like he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. But he's saying what he really thinks, which is also what a lot of people think. And because of dickheads like Matt Miller, people can't say what they think, which is a problem. When you can't say what you think, even if it's wrong or like morally fucked, like let somebody correct you on it. But after you say it and be like, wow, man, you know what? I actually have a point. I had that happen. I had that happen. I'll give you a little anecdote, a little personal anecdote about me, right? So I can't, I was in a frat in college, of course, because I'm a privileged white dude. And back in the day, I graduated college in 2010. So back in the day, especially in like frat culture and, and locker room talk, if you want to use a, a Trumpian term, we would say things like, um, that's gay, right? Like that's gay. And we even would call each other fags and stuff. Like it was not okay, but we didn't, we're stupid. We're fucking idiots. We're kids, young meatheads trying to get drunk and get laid past college with learning as little as possible. That's where we were at. Okay. And then after college, I started coaching uh, strength and conditioning and I picked up a side job to pay for life at Lululemon Athletica. I was the only person that was a male, identifies as male, heteronormative, cisgender, at Lululemon. Okay. And I was talking to my friend Liz and we were closing up, I think. We're in the fitting area, like folding some stuff up, putting stuff away. And I said something was gay, right? And she said, dude, that's not fucking cool. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, do you understand like what you're saying? And then she explained to me why me calling something that was, I didn't like gay was a problem. And I was like, damn, you know what, Liz, you're right. I was out of line. And then it took me a little while, but I phased that out of my language. Now, if something is gay, I'll call it gay. It's like literally gay, but just because I don't like a thing doesn't mean it's gay. I don't use that word anymore because I was speaking freely and someone who respects themselves and respected me enough called me out on the shit. So I changed a little bit. That's ideal. Now it takes the speaker of the bullshit to be compassionate enough and, and willing to listen. Um, to make that decision, do they want to make that decision? But at the end of the day, the First Amendment's here for a reason, my dude. <sighs> so anyways, let's go ahead and uh, finish this off here. Beyond the obvious, the obvious fallacy of, of his claim about woke culture, Rogan is simply wrong. At one point in the latest episode, he asked, can you make a good comedy movie anymore? Or have they made it so dangerous in terms of being canceled that comedy movies are no longer something you can do? Palm Springs, Borat, uh, subsequent movie film, Bill and Ted, Face the Music, The Farewell, Booksmart, Always Be My Maybe, Longshot, Good Boys, and Jojo Rabbit were all pretty damn funny movies without saying anything racist, sexist, or homophobic. Um, I have not, I've only seen the Borat subsequent movie film, and that is like, a, that was like a, a Trump attack ad basically the whole time. It was really funny, but it was like a Trump attack ad. I have not seen any, any of those other movies, none of them but I know you probably couldn't make Tropic Thunder today or Anchorman. (laughs) 
which were icons back in the day, old school. Like you want to go back even further? That's Blazing Saddles. You couldn't make that today, right? Great movies, great movies, iconic movies. And Joe Rogan has a point here because saying something racist, sexist, sexist, or homophobic oftentimes is funny. And if you're not intellectually competent enough to understand what's happening in comedy with racist, sexist, and homophobic statements is that they're usually said by the person who is the butt of the joke not to be taken seriously. They make the racist person a fucking moron because racists are fucking morons. Archie Bunker is a great example of that from the 70s. He was a bigot, hardcore. And as part of his character development was him moving past that. And they also made him out to be kind of a dumbass. And confronted with that old school ideology with the shifting cultural framework. It's storytelling. Someone can start off a movie like a racist, homophobe, sexist asshole. And through a character arc, they change. They grow. Ron Burgundy changed from a misogynistic pig to a man in love. that wanted to scream it from the mountaintops. So we have to think about that, right? It's a narrative structure, storytelling. And people like Matt Miller want things to be done their way. They want comedy that they like. They want movies that they like. And if you don't like their fucking bullshit, then you're a problem. You are now problematic. Fuck you, Matt Miller. God damn, how do you even have a job? This is insane. What, like, what inspires you to do this? I don't, under, I, don't, I don't understand it. Like a gossip columnist at Esquire has strong opinions about Joe Rogan. Don't listen to the fucking show, dude. It's that easy. Well, that got heated. <laughs> Welcome back to ASMR with Connor. Anyways, it's time for me to give you something to think about. Let's do it. I got a question for you. I got a question for you. You know, behind the scenes of something to think about, I usually just write one line and go fucking freestyle off of that line. And that's exactly what I did today. I actually thought it up mid show. <laughs> I'd love to give you guys a sneak peek. Anyways, my question for you is Are you asking good questions? And I think you might not be. I know I'm guilty of not asking good questions, especially when all I want to do is be a condescending prick. And let's be real, I am pro-level condescending when need be. I can cut someone down to the core if need be. And it took me a lot of growing up to do to get past that and find a different way. So instead of reacting, going full lizard brain on us, all right? Instead of just reacting and defending all the time, my defense became asking better questions. I can thank Mark Manson for a lot of this. 
The questions you ask will dictate the answers you receive, oftentimes. Now, you can be a condescending prick while asking questions, so be mindful of that situation. But the call to action with this, something to think about, is holding yourself to a higher standard, asking better questions, especially when it's hard. You know, if you sat down, and a lot of the people that listen to the show like Jordan Peterson, right? If you sat down with Jordan Peterson, you'd probably ask him good questions. If you sat down with Robin D'Angelo, you probably wouldn't. Why is that? That's something to investigate. Can you hold yourself to a higher standard with the questions that you ask the people that you disagree with? Because what you might find is that you probably have some common ground. And from that common ground, you can work outward. And then maybe you'll change. Maybe they'll change, right? We're, after this COVID thing is settling down, right? We're simmering down on the COVID thing. There'll be new stuff to talk about. Israel-Palestine is a good one. That's going to be a topic at brunch now because we're addicted to talking about crazy wild shit all the time. So with that, there's a lot of nuance. I was having a great conversation with somebody I just met online in the DMs, voice noting back and forth. A Jewish person who has family in Israel, like it, it had a lot of information, taught me some things, showed me where I was wrong. And I appreciate that she didn't jump to jump down my throat whenever I was wrong about something, right? And, and it struck me in a way, and kind of what we're talking about this, is, is that how productive that conversation was because there were really good questions being asked. And it was like, why do you think that X, Y, or Z? Right? Instead of, let me tell you how you're wrong, right? Because there's this, there's this thing, and I see this from people like Candace Owens and Ben Shapiro the most, right? And my buddy Sal, Sal Stefano. I got to throw you in there, buddy. Sorry. Um, they assume that the reason you don't agree with them is because you don't have the right information, which is so condescending and arrogant. And frankly, quite narcissistic to assume that someone doesn't agree with you because they don't have the information is a shitty place to start a conversation. So assume that the person has the information and ask questions from that place because experience, as we talked about on the last show experience in your life, it's going to create the perception that you have on the world, which will shape your opinions of things that are clear as data, right? When you view the data, when you start making opinions based on data, they're still your opinions. And facts don't care about your opinions, right? Facts don't include your opinions. Facts are facts. The truth is the truth. Once your conjecture makes it in there, it is no longer data. It is your opinion. That may be data informed, which is a stronger opinion, I would say, but it's still your opinion. So we must keep that in mind. So yeah, ask better questions. Ask better questions. That's the goal for this week. See if you can do it. Let me know how it goes. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. I fucking love you guys. Hope you're having a great week. Hope you're out in the sunshine. Do you get out there, get your feet in the dirt and keep your head on straight. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.